Uh, all right, we are starting our series on sexuality and talking to your kids. And the first question we're asking is, how does betrayal trauma and sex addiction affect your kids? We're so glad that you're here because you're choosing to thrive in your relationship. Guys, welcome to The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert, a Beyond Enough production. Hi, I'm Ashlyn, the once betrayed. I'm Kobe, the once addicted. And I'm Brandon, the expert. And he's definitely an expert. You've been working to help couples with their extreme challenges for like 15 years, right? Yeah, a long time. And I'm glad that I'm here with you guys sharing your vulnerable story. And I hope that it helps our listeners as well. Absolutely. And if you need some help getting started, we have a free resource over at beyond-enough.com forward slash step one. And that's one, the number. It provides the first key steps to healing your relationship, regardless of how tough things are right now. All right, guys, let's roll. I'm excited to talk about this. Um, first off, I just want to read a quick review. It says, I am the spouse of a recovering addict, and I am so moved by the podcast that you published to give anyone around the world the steps and tools to start and keep moving forward is really amazing. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for taking the time to just stop in and say, um, why you're here and why you're still here. And we appreciate that. It's what keeps us coming and keeps us finding and coming back with these really great experts. And so you get Brandon here all the time, but we get an extra with our guest today, which is Stephanie Carnes. So why don't you introduce her? Okay. Stephanie Carnes, PhD, is the president of the International Institute for Trauma and Addiction Professionals, a training institute and professional organization for addiction professionals, and a senior fellow for Meadows, Meadows Behavioral Healthcare, where she works with sexually addicted clients and their families. Dr. Carnes is also a clinical sexologist and certified sex addiction therapist and supervisor, specializing in therapy for couples and families struggling with sexual addiction. Very fortunate to have you here, Stephanie. Appreciate you uh, coming on again. And the topic is, I, I'm really excited about the topic because I'm excited to see the things I still need to do and maybe uh, lump a couple of tough ones that, of, of things that I haven't done yet <laughs> for my kids and see the impact uh, that, uh, that our, our journey's had on, on kids. But honestly, the, the content's gonna be fantastic. So appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me back. When I saw you coming on today, Stephanie, I thought, uh, um, it, Stephanie is like such a rock star, pioneer, just incredible. Yet I thought, oh, good, like you're so easy to talk to and so humble, and and just bring bring home the concepts of recovery so well. So to have you on again, I was I was really excited. And when I when I looked at the topic that we're talking about, I just thought, who better to speak to that um, than Stephanie? So. I'm really excited to, to see what comes of this and, and what we get out of it. So, um, oh, Ashlyn, do you want to ask Brandon. the first question? You're welcome. Yeah. Stephanie. I just wanted to make sure that our listeners understand why Stephanie is such a great, um, the first one in the series to talk about this because you have your own experience. Um, you're not only the professional, but you, you do know. So yes. can you share a little yes. bit about so that? I, yeah, I am an adult child of a sex addict and obviously I, um, I uh, grew up in a, a home where sex addiction was present and it uh, was the cause for numerous divorces as uh, when I was a kid. 
Um, and so, yeah, it was uh, challenging. It, it creates a lot of trauma. I've done um, a fair amount of writing about it as well. So, and unfortunately, this is a somewhat forgotten area in terms of the literature because there's really uh, been very little research, very little writing done. I think there are four articles and uh, two chapters and I've written like four of those. Oh, wow. It's just like, there's just nothing out there. Um, so it's a really underserved population. I think the kids, there's so much distress between what's going on with the couple that a lot of times, you know, even like, you know, the most loving parents, um, you know, you know, neglect dealing with the children in, in this very difficult situation. And it's, it's just because it's so traumatic for the whole system. So it is, you know, it, we have a long way to go in terms of the field and, and growing in this area. Stephanie, can you share with us, um, if, if, if you're willing, um, when did you first, when did it register with you um, that, that sex addiction and betrayal trauma was, was, um, was this elephant in the room um, as a child? And um, what was the dialogue like? Yeah, I learned about um, I learned about the sex addiction in my family when I was eleven, um, and so fortunately, um, my parents were pretty therapy savvy, so we did get uh, treatment around that, and that was very helpful. Um, and so there was um, some very good aspects of that, and some aspects of that that you know were difficult as well. So. That's rad. That's a, that's a big deal. Thankfully they were, uh, therapy savvy. And, um, and so did that help as a kid, did that help you open up and see your parents, none of these people who were supposed to be air quotes, you know, model humans that you needed to, um, you know, follow on your journey in life. But did that help humanize them in, in, in your eyes at 11 when I was like, Oh my gosh, my parents are they're making mistakes and, but yet we're still persevering through all this. I don't, I would say probably not at 11 because at 11, I found it all pretty confusing. Um, but when I was an adult, um, having more open conversations about recovery and addiction, I found to be very humanizing and connecting. Um, I think it reminds me, there's a, a very famous quote from Carl Jung that I've always remembered. It says the it was, it's something like this, but it says the best thing that a parent can give it, the best, one of the best things that a parent can give a child is to share with them their, their dark side because it shows them what it means to be human. And I think that, um, you know, I think that's real when we have real conversations about how, you know, the difficult aspects of life with our kids. I think it does show our humanness in a different way and it creates a, a foundation of intimacy that you probably wouldn't get without those kind of conversations. So Stephanie, go, going along with that, um, I hear a lot where, you know, betrayal has happened in a relationship and the couple tries to shield the children from that and, and not tell them really what's going on. Um, act like everything is hunky-dory, yet the children can really feel the, the impacts of the betrayal. They can tell mom and dad there's discord there, um, you know, that the energy in the home just isn't good. 
Um, what are some things that parents can do to minimize the impact that their children feel from the betrayal? Um, what, what, how can parents best handle that? Yeah, it's a very complicated issue. And, um, you know, basically, because one of the things is, is that children often know what's going on in the home before they're told. So yeah. we did a research study, and this was a long time ago, but it was on um, kids that had received disclosure that a parent was a sex addict. We had about 89 participants in our study. And uh, what we found out was that two thirds of them knew before they were told. Yeah. Um, and so because kids are really, really savvy and they often know what's going on in the home. Um, now that also being said that um, the ones that didn't know, um, it was a decidedly negative experience for them to find out. And so it makes it quite a tricky situation. And it's something that when I talk to, um, you know, parents about disclosing to children, it's really, um, you, it's a, it needs to be a very deliberate decision and you have to really consider what's in the best interest of your children. That's very, very important. Sometimes, you know, in the throes of the, you know, discovery and disclosure and all of that, Sometimes, you know, children are told information or are overshared with, uh, with information. Um, and, you know, that really can be increased the trauma that this can all have on them. So it needs to be a very deliberate decision. And I don't think that it, you know, um, I've been misquoted before and <laughs> saying that I think, you know, we should tell all children about this. You know, I think that it needs to, you need to really look at a case by case basis on what's in the best interest of your child. If you think that they know, then it's probably likely that they know and it's worth, you know, talking with them, trying to figure out what they know, maybe sending them to therapy so that you can, um, craft a message that answers their questions. Because a yeah. lot of times, if they just have some information about it, what they end up making up about the situation mm -hmm. is much worse than the actual yeah. situation. Um, and you certainly have situations too where children are at risk because of other issues. Um, so let's say you have a child that's eating disordered or running away from home or or you know, using substances, and then you drop this bomb on them, and that can really send them off the rails. Yeah. And so you really have to look at the situation in the family um, and what is in the best interest of the child when talking to them about this. Yeah. And you really have to consider what's developmentally appropriate for their age level. So um, we, in our, our article, we recommended um, not using the actual term uh, sex addiction with children that were under um, like 15 or 16 years old because it's confusing oftentimes for a child in terms of what does that mean. Um, now there are gonna be circumstances when it will actually be better. Like let's say, you know, the, um, 
person was arrested and the child or the child has a lot of information or things like that, then it's going, it may be better that the child under, you know, try and get some education you try and give the child education around addiction and help them understand. Um, uh, but there may be certain circumstances when they don't know every, anything they're young that where you can kind of preserve the boundaries um, there and protect them. Mm -hmm. And so it's really a decision that has to be made carefully by each parent um, concerning what's going on, the age of the child, um, and what have you. Um, the, the risk with not sharing anything is the um, you know, uncomfortable situation for a child of having to carry a secret around if they mm -hmm. know something. And then, you know, then they have this secret they feel is very shameful and that they can't tell anybody. So these are not easy issues. You really have to, um, you know, look at each situation on a case by case basis, really, you know, learn about the child. What age are they? What are, what's their maturity level? What's going on with them? How much do they know? What is the situation with the parents? You know, what is that, what type of behavior has it been? What has the child been exposed to? So there's a lot of different factors that go into deciding what to tell a child. I was, I'll, I'll make a comment and then I'll yeah, let yeah. you ask this. Just had a, just had a follow-up um, question. I was, I was in a clinical staffing just barely. And one of my therapists said, what do you do with a 10 year old child in this situation? And um, what I said is first off, you, you actually, get to know that 10 year old child like the uh, one 10 year old child can really vary to the next 10 year old child in terms of maturity so exactly. so like I, I like what you say stephanie be deliberate um take things in context if there's not a blanket statement rule um for each child right so right. exactly stephanie the, the the question i had is is um just just to just to verify well I just want to make sure I understand this. We have to consider like what situation or what struggles um, each child might be dealing with depending on their age, friends, schoolwork, um, their, and, and maybe even their own support network. All those things factor into, and, and even their own struggles factor into um, whether or not you share with them the, 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 the wisdom of sharing with them. But I guess the follow-up question to that is, is if we determine that, See, our kids are not ready to understand the full issue. Is it we just don't have a conversation or is there an interim conversation, kind of like a baby step that we can have before we really get into the deep end of, um, of what's happening? Yep, yep, there is a baby step. <laughs> I usually call it a softened disclosure. Um, and it's, it just, I, I don't know what, you know, why that it just is the, the term just seemed appropriate. I don't know why I ended up calling it that, but basically it's, it provides the, usually it provides some explanation to the child about what they know or what they can perceive is going on. Um, so like, for example, and usually when in a softened disclosure, you don't use the term addiction in that. So I'll give you a couple different examples awesome. of soft, soft disclosure. So I had a, um, a colleague who, um, she was a female uh, sex and love addict, and she ended up having numerous affairs during her marriage. And um, 
had an affair with her children's friend's father and they found out about it. So um, they were like nine and 10 kind of age range. And so her disclosure to them was, you know, mommy had a boyfriend. Mommy wasn't supposed to have a boyfriend. Daddy's supposed to be mommy's only boyfriend, right? Um, and so this is, I want you to know that that relationship is over. I'm no longer going to see this person. I'm fully committed to your father. We are trying, you know, we're working hard on our relationship. So it's pitched at the level that they can understand mm -hmm. and it helps explain what they know and what, what is going on. Okay. So I have another couple examples that might also help just as different scenarios. Um, another one uh, was uh, the kids found the porn on the computer and these were young kids. And so the dad said, you know, um, I was looking at pictures on the computer of people without their clothes on having sex. And this is not in our value system. This is not what I want to be doing. I'm sorry that you saw that. Um, and so kind of explained that. Um, in another situation, there was a, just a lot of stress between the couple and they, the kids didn't know what it was, but they could see that the parents were upset and they were fighting and mom was you know, very angry. Um, so what this couple decided to do is they basically said, you know, they said, uh, daddy lied to mommy. Mommy's very upset about that right now. And that isn't something that we're, you know, we're not, re uh, we're, we're not going to, that this is between daddy and I, and we're not going to share what this is about with you guys. But I just wanted to let you know that that's why mommy's upset, you know, kind of providing, again, these were young children. So it provides them with some information. And then, you know, that can always be followed up with a, a delayed disclosure that comes later that explains information when they're at a level that they, uh, more information when they're at a level that they can handle it. Thank you for those. I think that's really helpful to hear. Um, I hope that our listeners heard ownership in there. Um, it wasn't maybe the, the partner sharing the story. It's, it's the person who has d done these things to say, hey, this is what's happened and this is what we're doing to rectify. Um, that was absolutely, we did the baby step disclosure, soft disclosure first, because our kids were little. Um, how old were they? Oh man, five and was four, three? Five and seven. Okay, I clearly don't remember anything, but <laughs> five <laughs> and seven. And we kept it so simple. And I just remember um, feeling connected in that, even though it was so uncomfortable and so hard to see Kobe step into ownership in front of our children was a big deal for me um, because it helped me feel some, I'm not crazy. And I know, cause I wear my emotions on my sleeve. Um, <laughs> Brandon's like, yep, um, I do. And so the energy that you guys are sharing about, yes. Even if Kobe and I don't scream and yell, my kids know something's off. Mom's, mom's feeling quiet. Mom is, you know, doing her thing. And that's me processing internally, but it shows up and my kids do know. So, um, our kids came to us later and asked for more, you know, okay, what is actually, what's an affair mean? And for us, I feel like that baby step into telling, and I liked that you said there wasn't a 
don't tell. If you're not ready to tell, it's still tell, <laughs> but it's right, right. this really soft disclosure. It opened up, okay, we need to be educating. What is pornography? And so we started doing that on a regular basis. We talked about what's appropriate. We have um, a book that we read often in the car to talk about about sexuality in all the forms, right? And not just this is what sex is, it's all of it. And so it can either, I think, push us into education for our kids and doing what we, we want to do for them anyway, or we can run from it, right? And it's scary because it's it's something that maybe we weren't taught as as children and it's hurt us. So having that conversation too, um, Stephanie, really opened the door for the girls to to come back when they were ready right. to come back and when, when they were curious to come back and continue it in their timeline. And um, you know, it was it was um there were multiple questions that came, you know, from when we first shared that, um, even till I think it was just this last year. Mm -hmm. um, where our oldest, who's now 12, was like, dad, what's an affair? And talk to me about, about that. Yeah. Um, because she had, she had heard us reference that. Um, and, and so that's been a really healthy thing that I think that we've, that we've experienced. Um, but if we're just talking, let, let me just, let me just ask permission on this, I guess. If I'm unsure how to do the soft disclosure, if I am so worried that my kids are going to tell someone, they're going to come to their own conclusion and they're going to, you know, tell a neighbor or tell a family member, would it, would it be appropriate to say, hey, listen, mom and dad are having some, some hard times right now and we're seeking help from a therapist to help us work through the hard stuff that we're dealing with. And that's probably why you felt wonky energy from us. Would even something is, is uh, benign as that be prudent, be okay? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a difference with between secrecy and privacy and kids can be educated on that, right? You're keeping that private within your family right now. Maybe there's a, a certain person that they can talk to about that. Um, what I liked about what you're saying is we always want to leave it open for them to come back and ask questions. We don't want to have it be like this thing that gets put out there and then we never talk about it mm -hmm, again, yeah. right? And we always talk about disclosure as being guided by the family member's need and desire to know. So if they come back mm -hmm. with questions, then you can respond. And I always recommend, like you were saying, that both parties are present and present a united front to the kids when possible. Because when, when children are, when it's broken up or when children, like when one parent shares with the child, um, there is a sort of innate um, asking for loyalty that happens when that's go when it's like you're, you're um, if you're choosing sides, yeah, like it, it's sort of like it can be can be perceived by the child as a request to choose sides mm -hmm. and come to my uh, defense, you know, if it's not carefully done, right? Yeah. Kids will feel like they have to protect their parents. They can get very easily sucked into and triangled into the drama of their parents. And so by coming together as a united front, again, you're putting the best interest of your child there. You know, if you can agree on what, as a couple, 
agree on what you're gonna share, agree on coming together, then the child doesn't feel like they have to choose sides, right? Because the children love both parents. They love, mm -hmm. you know, they, they see themselves in both people. And when they have to choose sides, it, it's a huge detriment to them. They wow. lose that connection with that other parent. So it's just like any divorce situation. This happens in divorce situations all the time. And we really work with couples that are divorcing to not put their kids in the middle. That's one of the most important things that you try to do when you're, you know, divorcing in a healthy way. Um, so the same, the same thing applies here is not dragging the kids to not oversharing with them, not leaning on them for emotional support, over leaning on them, not, um, you know, uh, uh, asking them to defend you or, you know, getting, getting them to be angry with you. Those kinds of things are usually uh, end up being pretty dysfunctional. I think, uh, you know, a couple... If betrayal is pretty fresh, uh, the, there's there's issues going on in the relationship, and there's there's uh, the foundation of the relationship is busted in a lot of ways, and and yet in those moments you're supposed to come together and really function well as a relationship in order to support your kids. Um, you know, I, I think I, what I see, Stephanie, and tell me tell me if I'm wrong on this. Um, you know, a lot of people want to use their kids. They want to, they want to triangle, put them in a triangle. And it just takes a lot of swallowing your pride and caring more about your kids than yourself. That's right. right. In, in order to really love them and support them through, through this, this process of grief that they're going through. Right. Right. And I, I would also say that it's not too late, even if you've done it, you know, you have uh, triangled the kids you can still work on that. And basically you just, you know, based, you don't talk um, poorly about the other parties. No, you know, you don't, you give them permission to love the other party. You give them permission yes. to uh, connect with that person and have a relationship with that person instead of trying to keep that from happening um, and try and stay neutral. So even if you, you know, it, you know, sometimes in betrayal trauma, we, you know, and when all of this is going, exploding, you know, we're emotional and sometimes we do blow up and the kids find out and the kids, you know, maybe, maybe you did disclose and overshare with a child and they are angry at their parent because, you probably will mess up is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, if you yeah. mess it up, it's not too late to still try and let them free of the triangle. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a gal reach out over the weekend saying that um, they're divorced and that you have a fairly healthy relationship where they can still communicate. And um, the kids started asking the wife, who was the betrayed, questions about the divorce and questions about, you know, they had heard things and that type of thing. And she immediately was like, this is not my story to tell alone. And so she reached out to her ex and they came together and they had that discussion with her kids. So really great example, I think, of it's not too late. Yeah. And um, it is something to do together, in my opinion. Um, yeah. So I'll oh, go ahead, Ashley. I was just going to say, um, because we experience this, um, when you are in a place where you are 
in your head, right? We're dealing with so much of our own stuff. I don't have extra space maybe to be the great parent that I want to be or that I normally am. And I don't have a lot to give. I've been in that spot and it's, you know, one wants to be in that spot, right? We want to show up the best we can as parents. And sometimes our best is pretty crappy um, because we're dealing with our own stuff. And even when we have our therapists and we have our support groups and all the things, it's still heavy. And for me, seeing it start to show up in my kids of them, they're hurting and they need someone, they need an outlet. And um, I can't be that for them in that moment. Um, What do you suggest? I mean, what are some of the signs of what do you see when your kids are hurting? And then what do we do? Yeah. So kids will, what we see with kids is either in, in the psych world, we call it externalizing symptoms or internalizing symptoms. So some kids will act out and have behavioral problems and um, you know, disobey and they're, you know, if they're a little bit, have conduct issues, if they're a little older, they might start using substances and, you know, those kinds of things. Internalizing is when they withdraw and get depressed and don't talk to anybody, which is often even more worrisome than the externalizing uh, type symptoms. So one of the things like I, when, uh, well, first of all, you know, getting treatment for them, you know, there are some great child therapy techniques that can be really, really helpful. Um, the other thing that is really important, I think for parents in these situations is, um, two little things that I always remember. So children spell love T I M E, right. And they also thrive on consistency. So even if you are not your best self, um, if there are still things that you can do with them and be consistent with them on like Friday night is movie night. Maybe all you can do is pop a microwave popcorn and sit in front of the movie with them. Um, If you can do that and they have you regularly and there's some sort of regular consistent time spent with them, um, you know, that, that's really important. And also just consistency with routines and things like that. So if you're going through stuff like, you know, if you're going through betrayal trauma, you know, changing schools, you know, is not the ideal situation. You know, anything you can do to keep their environment consistent is going to help keep them stable. So just trying to get a little extra time with them and to set up some things that are routine and stable for them can be really, really helpful during that time. And then get them some therapy, right? And, you know, get get them some treatment. I love all that because that makes it sound like I hope people are listening going, Okay. Like I'm doing, I'm doing some of those things. I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We're showing up. So, and um, yes, the best thing we did was get our kids into therapy so that they really felt like they, because no matter how much Kobe and I try to teach the skills that we've learned through therapy and then try to pass them on, it's still like that third person who's like, oh, I'll listen to them. So (laughs) this third person doesn't tell me to eat my vegetables or brush my teeth. I'll listen to them. (laughs) So Stephanie, you had you had referenced um, a, a number of topics um, in preparation for reference with us a number of topics in preparation for um, the episode today. Um, which one of those is is kind of front and center for you that you'd like to move on to next? 
Um, well, I think I had mentioned uh, sexuality. That could be something that I know that this is, that's part of your series. I think it's important um, that parents in this situation try and understand where kids are in terms of that. Because um, if you think about cognitive development and children's cognitive development, they really uh, don't have the ability for abstract thinking until they're like 12 or 13. Um, and addiction is an abstract concept, sex is an abstract concept to them. So it's really hard for them to get their head around that. But there's so much information in the media and some of them have been exposed to porn at a younger age. So really kids are they vary greatly in their understanding of sex and what that means. And so they're gonna, you know, their understanding of what their parents' um, sex addiction is or that, you know, that behavior is going to, um, you know, really vary depending on the kids. So on the one hand, I've seen a couple common patterns emerge with kids in these situations. On the one hand, um, I see anxiety, you know, so there's, there's anxiety around what does this mean for me? Am I going to be uh, messed up? Um, and there's fear around that. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, the, the, for kids, the world revolves around them. So like they're the center of the universe. So they think everything relates to them, right? Mm -hmm. So for like, for a couple of different examples, I had one teenage girl whose father, she was 16. Uh, her father was a sex addict. She learned about that. Um, and she was developing. She was a very curvy young lady. And um, she became very, very anxious about being around him, thinking like, is he going to be attracted to me? What does this mm. mean? And kind of um, had a lot of fear and anxiety around that. And, you know, that she needed to process that in therapy and talk yeah. about that. And so she was wearing big baggy sweatshirts all the time and that whole situation. Um, and then on the other, on the, as another example, um, I had a, um, 12 year old boy that I worked with and his, um, his, uh, father viewed porn on his computer in his room and then also had prostitutes in his room. And he wow. found out about both of those things. Um, and so, uh, he came into, and this was, he found out when he was about nine that that had happened. And he was in therapy with me when he was about 12. And he came in one day and he said, um, he goes, I think I'm a sex addict. And I said, you know, why do you think that? And he goes, because I think about girls all the time. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> And I was like, honey, you're supposed to, you're 12. <laughs> you're normal. That's totally normal, right? But they're going to they, they think that this is about them or what does this mean about me? And there's fear, there's anxiety. It's anything that makes you different or that's unusual when you're a teenager is awful and scary. And, you know, and so it's normal to turn that into anxiety. So you know, I think it is very important for them to have education on healthy sexuality and to also, if they get so many messages about sex being, you know, like if they learn about sex addiction or there's been this, you know, way that sex got derailed from my parents, 
you know, I think it's even more important for them to understand that sex is beautiful and wonderful yeah. and healthy, and it can be, you know, a magical thing when you care about somebody. And so really trying to present another storyline around that, that is informative and also, you know, really non-shame based around things like masturbation and mm -hmm. porn exposure and stuff. I mean, we know that they're all going to be exposed and, you know, we just need to you know, at this point, we don't want to shame them for that, but we do want to provide education. Uh, my experience is when, when a client of mine is in really good recovery, um, they're actually really good at talking to their kids about sex. Um, when they're not, when they're, when they're really kind of stuck in their addiction, um, they have a hard time going there. And the child can feel the awkwardness and uncomfortableness about you know, the, the topic, because there's still a lot of shame there. Um, there's still a lot of secrets around it. Um, and so I think having these open-ended conversations is the key to it. Um, but it really is creating safety, that, that feeling of, for the child to, to feel safe that, hey, I can, I can talk to my parents about wanting to look at girls when I'm 12 years old, right? Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's normalizing that, but really creating safety for them to, to have those outlets to talk. And, and maybe mom and dad aren't available at certain times, and maybe they need a therapist or somebody that they can talk to. You know, you normalizing that for that child, Stephanie, was so important. Yeah. So, so important, right? right. right. In that moment. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I'm just thinking of my uh, oldest daughter, you know, we, we educate, we start talking about these things. We have a very open relationship with our children. And so sometimes they ask things that you guys are like, you know, you try not to show the face of like, wow, how do you already know that at that age? And just listen and like, yes, let, keep talking, you know, but yeah, that's what comes with it as well. Uh, it's right. just, it's interesting. Cause I remember uh, a few months ago, we turned on a movie and you know, there uh, entertainment is, lots of infidelity and, and those things. So, um, we started watching, so what was it? Sleepless in Seattle? No, you've got mail. And I was like, Oh, I, I used to love this movie. Let's watch it. And within the first two minutes, uh, my oldest said, Oh, she's cheating on her boyfriend because she's having this emotional affair. And I was like, Oh, you know, I hadn't ever looked at the movie like that, but then here's my child who she's been educated, yeah. whether, whether I wanted her to or not, um, she's recognizing that she loved the movie. She thought it was great, but she was at least acknowledging like, Hey, that's not okay. And you know, was a good reminder for me. This isn't a bad thing that she knows these things. This right. is a good thing that she knows, Hey, I need to be boundaried in my relationships. <laughs> Well, too, and I think it's really can send a very positive message when you have as a couple, when the kids do know, and as a couple, you've come together and you've conquered it and you can show that relationships can withstand hard things if you continue to work on it. And, you know, sometimes we're better when, you know, recovering people are better partners and better parents. And so we grow out of these difficult experiences. And I think we can impart that message to our kids. They can see that. Stephanie, can you speak to um, helping our kids to avoid shame that, that we have, that we project probably unknowingly, um, but also perhaps even knowingly, 
um, how, how do we protect our kids from our own shame? And how do we protect our kids from, from shame at all, uh, especially considering sex just being bad? Right. Well, one of the things that I think really perpetuates, perpetuates shame in families is never talking about it. Right. And just, and also having very rigid ideas about what is positive and what is negative. And, and, you know, you have to be like this X, Y, Z, um, or it's, you know, not acceptable in some way. So just, you know, I think that's important um, to start, but there's also a lot of things that come up as children grow that are, um, that can be handled in a way by parents um, that can show that this is just normal. And like, for example, wet dreams with boys, you know, <laughs> like, oh yeah, this is, that's just normal. And you just throw your sheets in the washer or whatever, you know, it just, um, or masturbation, you know, just talking about it is normal and healthy and it's not a problem. And, you know, so it's not just talking about it like as like okay here's the topic of what dreams and then it's not about checking boxes is what you're saying of like okay i've had the wet dream conversation check okay i've had the masturbation conversation check that's not what you're saying is that is that right how you handle things in the moment when they come up Mm -hmm. right it's just to try just to keep in mind that you you don't want to be shaming and you know just try and keep it you know positive yeah. I know one thing that really helped me, um, which is just education and having prompts as a parent, because I didn't feel very educated on teaching my children these things after betrayal. You know, I had my own stuff mixed in there as I'm trying to like show up for my children. And so for me, just having resources to help guide me through it was helpful. So now I feel confident and I can just have those conversations because I am more educated now. So, um, be resourceful is my point. And yeah. Stephanie's a great resource for that. And so that's all I'm saying. Uh, that's my point, I guess, with all of this is if you are unsure of what to do next, make a decision Yeah, and, and find the resources to do it. There's great yeah. books on educating kids about sexuality. I mean, there are so many, if you go on Amazon, you can, you see just, there's tons of, and they're by age level. And yeah. there are also ones around value systems. So if your value, like, let's say you have, you're from a particular faith background, you can find healthy sexuality education from that value system. So it can, there's just tons of resources out there for kids. Yeah. So speaking of books, I want to shift gears a little bit. So Stephanie is, she's, she's a pro on everything, sex addiction, betrayal. And so we've been talking about kids today, but you just came out with a, a book, Courageous Love. Um, yeah. It's a couple's guide to conquering betrayal, right? That's Did right. you speak to that and just talk about what it is? And Sure. Yeah. It's a, it's the, what's different about this book is it's for couples to work together. And so they read it together, they work through it together. It's really optimally used with a therapist. Um, So that's the, you know, ultimate uh, usage. Uh, But I think couples could read it and get uh, a lot out of it, even if they weren't in therapy. Could you give us just like a snippet of like some of the topics that it it addresses and and helps with? So um, I really try to educate around betrayal trauma um, and educate both parties that um, the partner's responses are normal responses to betrayal. 
um, so that, uh, you know, all of their feelings and their, their typical responses that these aren't pathological because that, you know, what we see is like 80, 90% of partners do most of them. So we know that this is all right. normal responses. And, and that basically I, I talk about it as a PTSD response and I try to educate um, the unfaithful party as in terms of how to respond um, to their partners when they're triggered in a way that's um, sensitive and mindful of the trauma. So effective responding, and that's an area that couples can get really hung up. So there's some tools in there, a little, uh, there's a little model that's uh, kind of become popular in there called the support model in terms of how to respond to your partner um, that I think is, is very useful. It also talks about just the healing process over time, like going through disclosure, um, you know, uh, doing an impact sharing and emotional restitution, uh, following betrayal, and then ultimately healing your intimacy and your sexuality towards the end. Um, so yeah, it's, awesome. uh, yeah. That's you know, Ash, Ashlyn always like, she, she's, she kind of gets mad cause she's like, man, like I wish these resources were there when, when she went through it. Right, Ashlyn? Yes. And yeah. So there's just, awesome. there's a lot more now and I love it because people get to move through this um, yes. with a lot more knowledge. Um, but yes, I do look back with like, dang it, <laughs> I needed that. <laughs> totally so that's, needed that. So that's <laughs> yeah. Courageous Love and you can find it on Amazon it's or on Amazon. just kind of, it's online, yeah. you can find it. Yeah. So awesome. That's awesome. Okay. We'll, we will also include on our show notes where you can find Stephanie and more of her information and how to get in contact with her if you need to. So thank you so much for being yeah. with us today. Thanks, this is Stephanie. a great topic. Thank you so topic. much for having me. Yep. All right. Appreciate it. Take good care, okay? Okay. okay we'll you. see ya. Bye.